0: Welcome to the Florence Guild podcast, a collection of conversations with business and cultural leaders delivering insight into future approaches to business and life. Through conversations in an array of styles, from salon talks to lifestyle events, through to intimate facilitated lunches and dinners, Florence Guild promotes encounters, satiates curiosity and allows insight into future approaches to business and life. Following Florence Guild Conversation was recorded live at Work Club Sydney, Australia's most forward thinking workspace.
1: We're living in a time of unrivalled connectivity with near limitless access to information at our fingertips. This is an attention grabbing culture and it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. It's been said we now suffer from constant restlessness feeling that we need to do more to move faster and break things to succeed, have we lost the ability to slow down and find pause and concentrate? We've invited Suzanne Boccalate, designer, artist, educator, publisher and writer, to talk about our ability to learn how to manage the distractions around us. Why? Because nowadays we are suspicious of the pause, and often see it as unnecessary or self-indulgent, as opposed to being essential to finding balance and resilience. Yet our greatest art, music, and ideas for every technological breakthrough originated here in those moments of unencumbered contemplation and concentrated
2: attentiveness. Over to you, Suzanne. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, thanks, everyone. I will be getting you to do things, so if you want to eat and... So I'm going to get you to do some exercises. Is that okay with everybody to do that? Um, So yeah, it's a shame about the weather. Um, We're not very good in Sydney dealing with when it rains, are we? Um, So look, thank you for for that. And I always like to acknowledge um, the traditional owners on which the land in which we meet uh, is the Gadigal and Eora people. Uh, and I'd like to pay respects to both Elders past and present. Thank you to Work Club and Nairae for this opportunity for us to chat today. So basically um, what I'd like to do is get your attention literally and actually. Um, So I'm kind of banning people from using phones today if that's (laughs) a good start. So um, if you could put away... technology, that would be an amazing thing, because this piece is about the art of, of uh, attention. So phones away if, if you're going to be part of this today. So this is a bit of a hands-on workshop. Um, I've run it a few times, and what I'll do first is give a sort of a 20-minute presentation, um, and then we might do some exercises together if that's kind of fine with everyone. Cool. Um, Basically, my, I've, run a, uh, I've run a design agency for the last 30 years um, and I've just been made professor at University of New South Wales and for that it's, it's again about looking at what education is nowadays and looking at where, really where we're going because a lot of education, a lot of these sorts of institutions are 20th century kind of things and we're entering into a new phase and we're not quite sure. At the beginning of a century how it's going to fall we're not everyone's kind of just grabbing at ideas and things and we're not quite sure so i'm not even sure either so today is pretty much um, a bit of a mixed bag so today uh, it's mastering attention so there will be activities uh, and hopefully i'll get you to sort of uh, to maybe relax a little bit for a moment Um, And I'll also give you some takeaways, some tips and some uh, reading. If people are interested in further reading about this, I can um, also be in contact with you and send you some reading material as well. Okay, this is a true story. So not so long ago, um, I nearly drowned in Sydney Harbour. It's kind of similar kind of day to today, but it was at night time. It was the end of a hot summer, you know, those big hot summer rains um, and I was coming home from the outgalley of New South Wales and just as I was leaving this torrential storm occurred and um I you know I I it was one of those classic kind of storms I think we felt it this morning and last night so the wind picked up and I knew my only chance to get home was to get a cab down at Wollamaloo. so with my brolly and my headphones I've turned my headphones on um, I braced myself and I ran down the steps you know down the steps towards Wollamaloo. Uh, and the storm swirled around me. So I held my tight onto my little brolly, and my clothes were drenched, uh, my glasses were fogged, and I headed w- which where I thought the taxis were. But in a second, and just like that, just like that, I was underwater, completely in darkness. I was thrashing around for minutes, under, being dragged, fully clothed, under the wharf. And I, I, um, I didn't yell out, and nobody saw me. Um, I lost my glasses, and I lost my shoes. Um, And I reached the pylons. I couldn't quite reach because they're quite high up and they were full of splinters. So from a distance, I saw a glint of a silver ladder. Sounds a little bit, you know, know, like godlike appearance of this silver ladder. So I heaved my body across and I climbed up to, to safety. Um, I don't remember actually falling in the water. I actually do not remember at all. And they say that this is common. But later I realised what had happened, that I was completely distracted. I was in the extremes of distraction. I had no connection with the real world. I was plugged in and spaced out. And nature gave me the biggest lesson I could learn. Distraction can be deadly, but more importantly, attention is a resource. And a person only has so much of it. And I think that that's kind of the takeaway that I hope you'll, you'll come away with today. We've only got an, a, a small t- amount of time on this earth and you know, attention is actually an important resource. The digital revolution prov- you know, basically promised that we would be saving time, but instead we're busier than ever. It promised us to broaden our horizons, but it left us trapped in our own algorithms. So we now suffer from this constant restlessness I don't know, does everyone feel that? I feel a constant restlessness. Um, Feeling that we need more, we need to move faster, we need to break things more often to succeed. Uh, And this is the heart of our modern times. We're like this hungry world with a deep sense of fragmentation and isolation. So is this something that we need to swallow and get used to? That's kind of the question I'm posing today. So how do we manage ourselves in these times of extreme distraction? How can we find pause? concentrate an essential ingredient of being creative and successful it's one of my uh, that's a, a great book if people are interested in reading so the way we do spend our lives is our days is the way we spend our lives So we're being offered a wealth of information, but we're suffering from a poverty of attention, says philosopher Matthew Crawford. Mental fragmentation has become a defining feature of our contemporary life. It's not only changing, it's basically changing our brain structure, um, but technology is fragmenting our personalities and sort of a sense of who we are today. Um, And as you can see, and that was a couple of years old. God knows uh, what the attention span is nowadays. If people even remember who the Beatles are, most of the people maybe not, the the youth of today. So we're told that we can't adapt fast enough and we're falling behind and we're always playing catch up. Our lives seem to be a line up of tasks. Our sense of time is shrinking. We're always thinking we've never got enough time. Um, And we're in a constant fear of missing out. How many times have you heard people saying, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, as they check their phones, um, or their, their phones on their watches, 103, 50 times per day. And that um, statistic uh, is a couple of years old. But apparently we received the same amount of information that our parents received, that's in 2072 hours, that our parents received in one month. They also said in the Middle Ages a whole lifetime of information would have been reading a New York Times, a weekend edition. That would have been the entire uh, lifetime of, uh, of learning for someone living in the Middle Ages. So we are, we are moving exponentially and it's complex and there's this sense of overload. So just some stats because I always like to throw some stats. This is from a Nielsen, um, a, a Nielsen uh, study. So we do feel incredibly anxious when we don't have our mobile phone next to us, 50, 53% have said that. This is an Australian study, um, 56% can't imagine life without a mobile and of course 70% which is the paradox um, believe that the, the phone actually makes their life better. So we've got this paradox between really wanting to stay ahead but also this idea of, that it's actually slowly killing us, <laughs> partly. So we're relying on this is a great book Friedman it's a bit long needs an edit but um Friedman's written quite a lot about this kind of stuff this idea of the rate of change so technology is moving ahead but human adaptability is kind of still trying to change up so we're relying on google on siri on the cloud we've We have a technology dependency. We upload everything and we click more and more. And we, you know, you know all this stuff. Um, We've got less and less memories because we're relying on iCloud for our photos and our memories are are stuck. So we're kind of suffering from this, we're hoarders. We're basically hoarders and we're suffering from amnesia. Imagine for a moment if the digital world collapsed. Um, Yeah, it's pretty exhausting, isn't it? You know this stuff, you've heard it before. So now I'm going to do an exercise, if you don't mind, for those that are game. So this is Linda Barry. It's not really Linda Barry. It's an illustration of Linda Barry. But Linda Barry is a friend of Matt Groening, who wrote The Simpsons. And she teaches in the US kids about attention. So what I'd love to do, if everyone's willing, it's a four-minute exercise. So we'll break it up into two minutes. And I need a timekeeper for two minutes. Could someone be a time? Yes, thank you. Okay, so if you, uh, has everyone got got a piece of paper? So grab a piece of paper and fold it lengthwise in half. So she came up with this thing, it's called the daily four minute diary, and it's such an interesting task for you to try today. So fold it lengthwise and draw a line down the middle. So write today's date in the top right hand corner. On the top left hand corner, write the word remembered. So, today's date, and then on one side, on the left, uh, let's put on the left-hand side, write the word remembered. On the top right, I want you to write the word saw, as in past tense of seeing. Now, what I want you to do in the next two minutes, I want you to picture yesterday. So, what day was yesterday? Tuesday. Tuesday. I want you to picture from when you woke up to when you went to bed. And I want you to write down in point form everything you remember, you've got two minutes, from the day on the left hand. It can be sentences, point forms, phrases, just memorable things. Thank you. So wrapping up, just finishing that last sentence would be great. Thank you. Are we done? OK, so now on the other side, what I want you to write is something slightly different. It's what you remember seeing yesterday. Not remembered, but seeing. It's quite. There's a nuance to it. Yep, you've got two minutes. What did you see yesterday? OK, so wrapping up. Mm. OK, so just putting pencils down. So other than the, um, the, the work club distractors in the center, which I'll separate in a moment, um, what did people think of that exercise? What, was it hard? It's a really good exercise. I mean, Linda Barry suggests that you do that daily. It actually builds up a muscle. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about some other tricks that you can try if you if you it builds up that suddenly you've got your whole day before that you're remembering and uh, as a writer I often have to do that anyway so I'll sit down and spend a lot of time thinking about you know like hearing conversations and writing that down so and I think uh, leading a creative write- life is kind of that's a beginning of actually thinking about it in a different way so great that's got your juices flowing so let's now look at um, is this going to work? Yeah, this is kind of stressful, isn't it? This comes from a magazine called um, Anxie. It Makes me angst just looking at it. So, what I want to do now is just give a quick sort of chat about some of the research that I've been doing around this um, from both for and against distraction. That's pretty annoying, isn't it? Um, okay, some might be new to you and it'd be interesting to see who you know and who you don't know. Does anyone know this guy? No? Yes? No, that's good. Sorry, am I in your way? I'll sit back because I've got my little thing here. So this is Tristan Harris. Um, he was originally from Google, he's a designer, and he co-founded a, a thing called uh, Time Well Spent. So if, if you want to check out his website, Time Well Spent, there's a really good ad that he's created as well that talks about distraction. So he, um, he brings, he started to, Time Well Spent brings ethics to software design. Um, and that's a long story, but us designers are very uh, we have been colluding in this kind of behavioural issues that have been occurring in Silicon Valley. So his argument is, is that Silicon Valley is addicting us to our phones and he's determined to make it stop. Um, we blame our own personalities and our weak willpower for not being able to be hooked on our phones. But Harris is actually suggesting that this is actually being built by um, behavioural uh, scientists um, and it's the software itself that's, that's creating this addiction. So they look at designs to keep us, they they are creating designs that encourage us to continue to keep keep scrolling um, as frequently as possible because we live in a neoliberalist society and that's a way of making money. But I'll talk about that more. So in the dawn of the mega systems, and we know the mega systems, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, um, and you know that Zuckerberg, it's been rumoured, is going for the presidency, not in 2020, but yeah, yeah he's been gearing up for it. So they're no long, it's, it's no longer about tr- simply trading platforms. We know that, that they're places where we socialise, we shop, we live our lives through these, these big mega systems. And for this data online uh, networks to work effectively and more elegantly, um, emotional engagement now happens not just at the point of data delivery, from, but the moment of data gathering. That means that, and I'll talk a little bit more about this from a a Korean philosopher that's been writing quite interesting stuff around this. This means that all our user interfaces are increasingly designed to make it uh, it feel less technological but this more intimate space. Intimate, emotional and relatable. So it's an intimacy that we feel. I was talking to a 13-year-old the other day and and she was saying, what's all the problem with you oldies talking about transparency, notions of being transparent? Um, I don't care. I'm giving away my information and I don't care. But I wonder if that'll change when she reaches puberty um, and she wants to hide stuff from her parents or her, you know, like I I wonder if that's um, something that we might see a change in. So it's hooking us into these deep-seated needs. And I'll talk a little bit about what our deep-seated needs are later in in the discussion. So this is an example of Harris's kind of brave new world that we live in. So everybody's probably familiar with LinkedIn. Who's part of LinkedIn? Pretty much all of us have to be nowadays. So LinkedIn created a hub and spoke icon visually to represent the size of each person's network. That triggered people's innate craving. We all crave to connect. We got a scrambling to connect, um, even though there's nothing really useful in LinkedIn. Uh, it's just a simple icon. The, it was the powerful effect of us tapping into the desire and not looking like losers. So if you've, if you've only got ten, um, if you've only got sort of ten friends, you feel like a loser. And it's the same, you know, as we know, um, in Instagram. So remember the days when coincidence was a weird supernatural sign? Doesn't happen anymore, not with algorithms. Um, It's now clever digital algorithms that are actually learning your habits, very, very carefully learning every single habit you have. And don't think you can hide in the internet. They know exactly where you've been. Now, some people, there's a... I can't remember the philosopher he's talking about, but that's probably a good thing because Maybe it will stop perversions and weirdness happening because if everything's transparent, then you can't hide anymore. But there is a right of, you know, we all need privacy. Otherwise, I don't know, maybe that's up for discussion later. Um, So in Instagram, uh, rewarding, we know that a like after a post can reinforce that action. So we know that um, there's a a potentially shift from the occasional to a a daily activity so you know we can say that fast food does the same thing we crave certain flavors um, by offering these variable rewards messages um, and the likes appear and it's on no set schedule anymore like you know like when it goes bing and someone's liked it and you always go back into Instagram we never we check compulsively we're never quite sure when we're going to receive this like dopamine it's like a hit of um of uh, dopamine effect, you know what dopamine is, yeah? We know what sort of, it feels good. Um, So research shows that the problem with that is that every time we're interrupted, so every time we get a bing that someone's liked our bits, um, it takes us, this is from Atlantic uh, newspaper, it takes an average of 25 minutes for us to return back to the task at hand. The other thing is that we remember because we don't remember anything anymore because we don't need, need to. Now, that's both a good and bad thing, Um, so thanks to the iCloud. So we put everything up in the iCloud, and we have our faith in this big thing that we don't trust governments, but we trust iCloud, and we trust technology. It's a very interesting time that we live in. And Harris describes this as this bottomless bowl, and he talks about a study where 73% of people eat more soup in a self-filling bowl um, than out of regular ones, just because it's there. So his argument is that we are still consuming as much as we can um, and that we, we in, the, in the end, we stand back watching as billions of people around run around like chickens with their heads cut off, this is a quote from him, responding to each other and feeling indebted to each other. I love that image. So never, his, this is a quote from Harris, never before in history have the decisions of a handful of designers and they're mostly men, white, living in San Francisco between the ages of 25 and 35, working at three companies, Google, Apple, Facebook, had so much impact on how millions of people sp- uh, in the world spend their attention. And that's from Harris. Does anyone know Sherry? Sherry Turkle? She's written some really interesting books. This is, um, she's written a lot about objects, but this, she's come out firing. Uh, in, she's in the same corner as, as Harris. So she's a writer and then she became an academic and she too began her career espousing the good things about technology. But more recently she stated this, those little devices in our pockets are so psychologically powerful that we not they don't change what we do but they change who we are. And I think we're starting to see that with the kids, younger kids today, that they're just the ones that are com- completely tech savvy that were born post 2000, they're a different kind of person. I'm seeing it a lot. So Tokel believes that we are truly forgetting how to relate as human beings. Um, even now, with um, there's, uh, there's a program, there's a, an app that's come out to help people socialise once they meet someone on Tinder because they don't know how to communicate. And, so they're fine going, nah, 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 but when they get face to face, they go, whoa, I don't know how to talk. So there's an app now to help you communicate when you actually get a date. It's kind of scary. But we're also, most importantly, we've forgotten how to relate to ourselves as uh, and this idea of self-reflection. And self-reflection is, is my argument today, where if we, can, if we have time to pause, that's where all the goodness comes in. And that's where we become incredibly creative. And this is my new favorite guy and I apologize for the, me pronouncing it now, byung chul Han, is that right? Anyone help me with that? You're right. Is that good? Yeah, that's really good. This, uh, he's a German, uh, he's a Korean-German-based uh, philosopher, and he says that we have failed to grasp the radical paradigm ship that's currently underway. So he's written before, um, it's a couple of years old, his books. Um, they're very thin, <coughs> slim volumes, uh, and uh, he wrote before Cambridge Analytic's debacle, and he did actually talk about, with spooky accuracy, what was going to happen. Hans' philosophy sees that our current—he calls it the achievement society—and it's different to what's been gone on in the past. So, if you look at people like Michel Foucault, he talked in the previous century we were part of this thing called the disciplinary, you know, society. So, academia—you had people, governments—you had people to tell us what we needed to do. It makes sense? It's like. You know, and he, Foucault talks a lot about this. Um, it's, it's kind of like 1984, Orwell's 1984, which so people know that their freedom's limited in the disciplinary society; they know it. Um, but people in now he calls it the achievement society actually and very falsely believe that they're free. So we think, oh, we've got this; we can do whatever we want. It's a shift from the disciplining, disciplining the body. To controlling the mind in a much more sophisticated way. So with the help of digital, he talks about digital surveillance, which is huge. I've just come back from China. And um the Chinese government, they're interested in two areas, and that's uh surveillance. They want people to, to start Australians to come and help them with surveillance stuff, and what was the other one? Forgotten. It'll come back to me. Um social workings. So, so social workings. Um, yeah, but they—they they were particularly asking. They're looking to build um, probably more data mining as well. Kind of, I mean, they've got—they're growing so exponentially with their, their um, unicorns. And I'm not talking about the little unicorns with the horns. I'm talking about their trillion-dollar companies. Um, they're they're going to outshine America pretty soon. Um, so, the data mining that's making collective behavioral patterns accessible, and that's what we saw with uh, with Facebook offering. All of that sort of detail, um, and the tracking performed by the like, the liking, and uh, Facebook, he calls it digital psychopolitics, um, and it's beginning to even read our thoughts because it's gathering this information collectively. So, um, so while we have less trust in government, we're constantly saying we don't trust governments, we hate governments. We are willingly, we willingly disclose, reveal our collective unconscious online. Every click is recorded and stored, we leave our traces everywhere, and we feed this digital beast by shining a light on every single part of our lives, quite willingly. Um, We are addicted to this inner need, so if we look at it psychologically, so if I head into the Freud world, we like to be liked. So it's this idea that we have a sense of freedom, but as Han Maud's uh, self-exploitation is more efficient than allo exploitation, meaning from the, the previous disciplinary, we're actually self—we're exploiting ourselves basically. So from here, that's a pretty big quote. Um, he, he talks of shitstorms—that's his words—which is an authentic phenomena of digital communication, and it differs from this quaint. You know, in the old days, we'd write, a, we'd stand up and protest, or we'd write a letter to the editor, and that idea took—you know—would would take a little bit of time. But now we're doing this thing called virtual outrage. So we, it's composed of like a shitstorm. So everything kind of goes phew, Um And we see it on message board comments, the nasty tweet. We see backbiting on Facebook. But it doesn't prelude to engagement. It just occurs and it gets shot out there and then it disappears. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's like an immediate discharge, if you like, rather than um, a, a symmetrical communication. Does this make sense to everyone? I, I'm sorry, I apologize if I'm sort of going in a little bit deeper than you were expecting. So this um, excess and, and access is, is uh, unlike anything before. And as I said, we've lost trust and respect. Today, exploitation of governments doesn't need to happen at all. We need no longer, we, we're not interested in opinion makers, we're not interested in journalists, any middleman, in, even politicians who provided us with a unilateral, you know, one way, so in the old days, we'd all have a television or a radio that we'd all sit around, unilateral. One person gives us information. Now it's this kind of um, asymmetrical, it's this thing that's happening two-way um, without filters. So the only filter we have now is ourselves. But if you look at the, the problem with that, uh, then it ends up that the filters are ourselves. And because of algorithms, we, we're going down narrow streets because they've been being forced into, into this flattening. And Han warns us that um, the flattening out of language and culture—it's uh, like no, no one can discern anymore. There's, we, we've lost it, the notion of discernment. Um, we, we don't have time to think. So the thing is about being strategic, as, as you would know, working in strategy and also accounting, and all, all of us here today. When you actually, th- when you need to think about something, you actually need a bit of confidentiality, a space to think before you act. Is that? I would argue that that's probably true. Because if, if, if we have absolute transparency, it affects uh, slow, long-term planning. So it's impossible for us then to let things ripen. And ripening is, is really what creates innovation. Um, and in that regards, Hahn says that basically we're losing our visionaries. That it's all reactionary and it's all happening. And it's, um, So he's not quite sure what's going to happen. So that's Han. So how are, we, how are we tracking? Is this all interesting? Any comments at this stage? Because now we're going to talk to Kenneth, who's on the other side. No comments? Of everyone's dumbfounded, putting their phones away. So a few years ago, this, he's, this guy's a poet and an academic, and he's an artist. Um, he taught a course uh, at, at a university in um, the US called Wasting Time on the Internet. Uh, students would just do that, so they would probe the tedium of the internet. And let's face it, it can be quite tedious. The class became a creative strew, a stew of improvised dance, uh, trust experiments, inquiries into this idea of uh, modern nature and, the, uh, and sort of the self and the crowd. While many worry about the effects of endless tweets and bad videos um, that have our minds, he sees this as a new culture building. So theorists say, the as he says here, Theorists say that the internet is making us dumber, but something magical happened when my students wasted time together. They became more creative with each other. They were less social. They, they say that we're less social. I think people on the web are being, more, uh, being social all the time. Uh, it's not what they're reading. I think they're reading all the time. They're reading more than ever. So that's, this guy's in the other side. I always like to give two sides. So he believes that the web DNA is embedded in 20th century uh, movements like surrealism. surrealism. Do people know surrealists? Where they surrealists were the ones that uh, Salvador Dali. So they would get into sort of often drug induced stupors, and um, everything would just appear, uh, and they would you know cut up words and throw them in the air, and then make songs or you know a whole bunch of stuff. Surrealism is surreal. Um, it's like states of... They lived in states of uh, dreaming and, uh, and pop art was sort of similar where it leveraged popular culture to make bigger points around society. So postmodernism was also about sampling and mixing and remixing and and, um, and he thinks that that's what's so exciting about the uh, uh, the internet that it's, it's like a remix that we can grab all this stuff now and he doesn't believe... He's a guy that does not believe in copyright. He thinks that we all should just have cut blanche to everything on the internet. Um, so that we become our own masters of our own collections. Um, we can archive, we can reuse it, we can remix if we want. We become digital archivists. And it's much more active than passive, say, sitting in, uh, having a television in the corner. We're actually much, much more active kind of humans. Um, Kids, so the older generation, quote to quote him, is saying, kids are today using too much of this and too much of that, and it's melting their brains. And it turns out it's what we've always done to adapt. So when we've needed to adapt, we've designed things to help. So perhaps, uh, the fact is we're all wasting time on the, online, so why, not con- why do we condemn ourselves for doing it? Uh, it's not going to go away anytime soon. We're not disconnecting. We need to think about it in another way, says Goldsmith. Okay, a bit of a break. This is a fluffy kitten. So, how do we go about keeping up with the change when we're always feeling the need to, in catch up mode? Uh, we can't push back on technological tra- change, but one thing we can do is slow down and give ourselves some space. And this might seem counterintuitive, but it actually works. So if we think about ourselves, we, we are part of nature. Uh, We are cyclical beings. We're the same as um, nature, like uh, we too need to be able to switch on and off just like the weather. So think about the way we breathe for a moment. So let's just stop for a moment and breathe. So when we take a decent breath, what happens if you do it properly? There's a pause at the top and the bottom. There's always a pause in the top and the bottom. So our bodies do naturally pause and we forget that. So my argument is, is for us to truly be successful and in ourselves, I think we need to take more pause. We need to pay attention to the experiences and to our senses. And as a designer, I practice this daily, uh, you know, and the Four Minute uh, Diary is a great way to, to remember what you've done and how you, what you've achieved. Because I know for a fact that when I let things percolate, ideas unfold unhampered. You could, you know, I sort of think of the pause like a good stock, you know, a a broth where sure you can use a stock cube and it might do the trick but it's usually salty and it's full of MSG. A good stock uses great ingredients and a long time to simmer uh, until it it simmers right down into something delicious and that's really what it means to be creative and that's where the alchemy actually happens. So willingness not to, st- part of being a designer is a willingness to step aside and not to understand. Like I don't know everything, none of us know everything, so to step aside is great. But it takes time and persistence, and this state needs to be learned, and it's not normally part of what's known as the business world. So um, I'm going to give you a few, it's a whistle-stop series of, um, uh, of tips, and... Um, to tune out, but to really tune out and switch off. And um, if switching off technology is really what you want to do, so here are some ways to create, I call it digital resilience, and build attention with intention in your day to day. Uh, It takes practice, it's true. um, So I would suggest you start by turning off your phone notifications, so you're not being binged all the time. Only have your phone notifications that you really, really, truly need. Do you know when you get weird stuff, like? Shops saying, "Oh, just turn all that stuff off and just have the essentials." That's the first basic one. Author Julia Cameron talks about in her bestseller, and that's it's a really interesting book to do. It's quite old. She was married to Martin Scorsese, the filmmaker. It's called *The Artist's Way*. She, su- she suggests that taking a walk every day um, is, is about being creative. So you might. Um, walk out a problem, but as you walk you come across sort of a solution. You might just get a different perspective, you might go for a walk and you might see a cat in a window box or suddenly you'll hear yourself saying, oh I could try X. Um, Walking is actually incredibly powerful and all the big names used to walk, so Aristotle, Beethoven, even Emerson, uh, famous thinkers, creative souls walked for pleasure as well as political, aesthetic and for deeper meaning. So get off the bus and walk. Keeping a diary, um, I suggest that a diary is a good thing. So in the olden days, uh, it was for something that kids, you had as a kid and maybe you grew out of it. But um, it's not about, you know, you can do morning papers, which Julie Cameron talks about, and that's writing cathartically and getting junk out of your system for 20 minutes. You write about three pages a day. If you do that habit and don't read it back, but then in a couple of months, read it back, you'll find some amazing gems in, 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 the, uh, in that. But that's in that book called The Artist's Way. Um, see, you see it as a daily habit, like brushing your teeth. It clears your brain so you can get on with the day. So another technique, of course, is what we tried earlier, which is Linda Barry's um, four-minute four um, simple diary. You could do that every so often. Build a beginner's mind. Um, you know, it's a beginner's mind is a very zen thing it's it's uh looking at so many possibilities and not going in with answers i often think that uh businesses in the old days we used to um we used to think and then we do and we forgot this whole design thinking idea which is to make so to be a designer is quite a bodily experience it's not just purely about the brain it's actually bringing the gut and and the pores into into creation and that's why design thinking uh, is so important. So this is idea of um, Steve Jobs, he, he said that meditation taught him intuition, curiosity and how to concentrate. So he was a huge, medit- uh, was a huge meditator. Um, so when thinking through a problem, you have to come with it with the mind of a four year old. So I always say why, why, why? Constantly asking why generally. I mean a lot of people nowadays, what what and how, but why I still believe is one of the most important questions you can ask to have a beginner's mind. Create pause every day, um, so find the ritual in the daily lives, uh, so rather than using an electric kettle, I don't have an electric kettle at home, I have a stove top, so I have to actually wait for it to boil, It can be a bit annoying sometimes, but there's something really lovely about this, I've got this beautiful Japanese kettle that I sit on the stove top and I wait. Um, start by each day with meditating. So I walk, um, I walk to the Opera House and back every day, uh, and I try to, and I do an hour of yoga a day as part of my daily routine. Uh, but many composers and writers find a ritual in the day-to-day process. Stravinsky, for instance, uh, did the same thing every morning when he arrived in his studio. He played Bach as a warm-up, did it every day. Descartes lingered in bed, um, his mind wandering through the woods, gardens and enchanted palaces. Uh, So he created this imagination. Rituals can be something really, really small, but creating a ritual shows that we're alive um, and awake in the world. I did this one year, which is fantastic. This was part of a MoMA project, uh, as in Museum of uh, of Modern Art in New York. Um, And what can you do in 100 days? Set yourself a task. The yogis say that if you do something for 40 days, it changes your brain. Do it for 90 days, something else happens, and by 100 days, it's actually embedded into your system. I challenge you to try a 100-day project. So you choose one action, one thing a day, and pick a start date, and then have an end date of 100 days. Um, Something quick, something creative. Don't, Don't be fearful about it. Don't even think too much about it. Even better, don't think about it every day at all. So after day 30, you'll probably get a bit in your groove. A lot of people drop out at day 30. So I challenge you to do the 100 and email me if you make it. Uh, As Isabella uh, Alente once said, show up, show up, show up, and the muse shows up. So the creative muse appears after 100 days. I did it for 100 days as a writing technique and I just wrote snippets. Some days I'd write a whole story, other days I'd just write things I'd hear on a bus, but I wrote every day. And I have now a massive volume of writing that I use um, in in my creative writing. So I'd love to challenge you all to that, see who can do it. The other is to write with a pen. My God, use a pen, use a pencil. Writing with <coughs> a hand is actually physically <coughs> different to, to typing. There's something about the act of, the, of drawing that changes the way your brain works. Um, it gives you more originals, and we're all looking for originals. Something magical passes from the brain to the, through the heart and then through the hand. Designer Milton Glaser, he's the one that came up with that. Uh, the logo I Heart New York that everybody knows. He once said that um, the difference between a brain and a computer has to do with the way the brain works by maintaining its fuzziness. You do a sketch and the brain examines that sketch and modifies it. The brain then thinks of another idea and then you do another sketch which is still fuzzy and there's a response of the brain and then you move to a series towards clarification and that's what the brain allows you to do. The ambiguity is uh, is is the central part around the way our actual brains work. We love ambiguity. The other important thing that I think is, and this took me years to practice, is learn to be alone but not lonely. So we've forgotten to enjoy solitude. Um, Artist Twyla Tharp, great name, suggests that if you use solitude, you you have to actually build uh, tolerance for solitude. She calls it the process of quietness without loneliness. So you, st- you can start small, so set your timer for one minute, be on your own for, alone for one minute, um, and then just watch. You could, you could try this, uh, watch where it takes you in a minute, your mind. Um, what materialises, what goal, what word, what solution? So just let your, your ideas wander. Uh, thoughts appear from deep consciousness when you let, when you let space happen. So you're no longer alone anymore, you're actually, your ideas and your thoughts become your company which I think is really beautiful. Um, Tuning in to tune out, there's lots of apps that you can use and if you, uh, they say that digital world is an enemy of wellness but there's a lot of wellness apps now all over the place. Uh, Here there's a few like Buddhify, this is Buddhify which is fantastic if people have seen that. the Smiling Mind, which is a one that's in schools for kids and it, that's been um, developed by psychologists and educators. Uh, but if you wish to build a more active process, uh, 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 practice, try things like Yoga Glow. I'm a huge fan of Yoga Glow. I do yoga with it pretty much every morning um, and there's meditation, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. It's fantastic. I've even learnt, I've even gone into the 20 minute nap in the afternoon and people for, 20 minute naps are fantastic, if you can just sit in, put your head on the table for 10 to 15 minutes, not fall asleep, but just stop, it revitalizes you, it can actually work, you work better in the afternoon and you sleep better. There's a whole bunch of research around the nap Um, and if people are interested in napping or that concept, I've got tons of reading um, and some exercise. (coughs) Flaneur. uh, cultural essays, Walter Benjamin came up with Flannerism. So it's about the art of strolling, about how to engage in a city. We've forgotten how to do that, the strolling, and rather than just purely exercise. So it's sauntering around the city and it's observing. Um, And it doesn't come so naturally anymore with GPS because we never get lost anymore. But his argument was just to stroll and experience the world around us and not feel pressured by the pressures that we have. And here it is again. Um, you know, become an artist. Uh, we're half awake, half asleep. We're multitasking, according to Goldsmith, and this is the reason to celebrate. The vast amount of web's language is perfect raw material for literature. Disjunctive. It's compressed. It's de- decontextualized, and most important, it's cut and pastable. It's easy to reassemble into works of art. So, use the web as an artist. Um, He's also suggesting things like Tumblr and Pinterest and Spotify are great ways to become curators of our own things. There's for and against all of these things. And you can also daydream online. Take it slow. Be bored. Go through, you know, everything you do is an experience. So you could argue that um, what we do daily when we check our Instagram or Facebook feed is relaxing. So I'm not here to say it's all bad. So maybe you need to just enjoy it. Um, But the geniuses like Einstein and Newton knew the the importance of daydreaming. Learn how to relax is what the brain scientists, and to your point, um, is is about how you're developing new neurons and neural networking. Um, So try to use the online in the same kind of way. So just to conclude, so today in our crazy fetish productivity culture, we're suspicious of the pause. Um, We're often seen as unnecessary or self-indulgent, and I'm arguing that it's not, as opposed to being essential to finding balance and resilience. And I think resilience is a really key thing for us as as we're getting older, to be resilient in this time. Yet our greatest art, music, and ideas for every single technological breakthrough originated in those moments of unencumbered contemplation and concentrated attentiveness, if that makes sense. Concentrated attentiveness as opposed to So I I encourage you all, thank you for coming today, to actually try it for yourself and and pause. Uh, So today, uh, basically, we've looked at some of the pros and cons of um, (coughs) technology. Hopefully developed a few observation skills. It's hard in an hour and a half to change the way we do things. Um, Exploring ideas around distraction and some of the theories behind it and what's happening in the world. And again, I don't have answers and I think we're going to be seeing some interesting times in the next 10 years, what's going to happen to people. I know that um, uh, Han, the Korean guy, talks a lot about uh, the Achievement Society is now turning into a depressed society, that we're actually quite depressed and there's a lot more depression that we're seeing more than uh, ever before uh, because it's this. we've reached this place where it's a can do society. Not should, but can do. So. And that puts a, a whole bunch of pressure on, our, on ourselves to can-do all the time. So depressions, I think, is going to be something that we're going to be seeing a lot more of. Um, and then just the idea of relearning, this idea of deep um, uh, observation and and entering into a space that we may not have entered into before. So um, thank you for your attention today. And if you want to contact me, I'm there. That's my um, my... Boccalati address. Um, I haven't put up my professor, I've just, I'm only a very new professor so I haven't got all that detail up there but um, if you would like to contact me please feel free um, to, I'm happy to send you some of the the references for the books that that I recommend. So thank you. Thank you and thanks for playing with me today as well. Explore the Florence
0: Guild podcast with the best talent from Australia and across the world. You can subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. For more information on Florence Guild, visit FlorenceGuild.com.